keys, tackle box in my hand Gonna cast a few lines with my toes in the sand Pulling in a big catch makes me feel like a man But the wife, she just don't understand I love walleye, perch, trout and bass And if you don't like fishing, you can kiss my four-stroke right in the back Cause the fishes all tremble at the thought of me When I'm fishing for bunyan country Less than a week to go till the opener, and one of the places that's going to be really busy opening weekend, provided the wind is not too bad, is Red Lake. And one of the things we do in the first two weeks of every year is talk Red Lake with Gary Barnard, the area fisheries manager out of the Bemidji office, because that is definitely one of the biggies here in Paul Bunyan country. Gary, you know, the numbers I was hearing again last year, um, still pretty amazing, uh, the amount of walleyes that lake keeps producing. Yeah, it's definitely a walleye factory. It, it keeps cranking them out, and uh, it's uh, it, it's really one of the destination spots, not just for this area, but statewide. There's a lot of people, uh, everybody knows about the walleye fishery up there, and it, it gets uh, quite a bit of pressure. It does get a lot of pressure, and, and one of the things that has really uh, dramatically changed, not just on red, but on a lot of the big waters in the last Oh, I'd say five years is more and more winter pressure, and I think, uh, if I'm not wrong, winter pressure on red is significantly bigger than summer pressure. Yeah, it is. Uh, We actually topped uh, a million angler hours in December this year. That's the first time we've ever done that in a month, but uh, that tells you the popularity of that lake. And um, it's a little bit deceiving in that, uh, you know, ice fishing has changed considerably with the... uh, uh, the wheelhouses now, and you can go up there and, and fish in comfort on a weekend when it's 30 below and the wind's blowing and everything else. So that uh, that really adds a lot of fishing pressure, that uh, new way of fishing that we're seeing. But uh, uh, nonetheless, it's it's um, around-the-clock fishing pressure, too, because they're, they're running rattle reels overnight and, and everything else. So. And But as of now, it, it hasn't had much, if any, negative effects. No, it hasn't. I mean, uh, these these fisheries, uh, um, these big walleye fisheries respond pretty well to harvest, and uh, red's no exception. Uh, we've actually uh, um, looked at uh, harvest over the years here, and we're uh, we've been uh, relaxing our regulations as we go along here to uh, to actually try to harvest a little bit more. And yeah, we've got a new reg this year. What is it? Well, the new reg, we're going to still have a four-fish bag limit, but uh, we had a 1 over 17 attached to that before. Now it's going to be 1 over 20. It doesn't sound like a big difference, but it's uh, it's quite a difference in the uh, the number of fish between 17 and 20 that will be harvested this spring. So um, we're going to uh, ratchet it up here a little bit. I'm sure that's going to be a pretty popular reg up there for fishing opener. Oh, absolutely. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, um Again, Red Lake, an incredible story, and I don't think we have to go through all the, the, the details of the past, but uh, it was a rebuilt fishery, uh, multi-jurisdictional um, cooperation, and, and I think the key thing, Gary, is that it just keeps going. That's the most important part. Yeah, it is, and, and uh, I think the, the thing, you know, the message from the restoration of that fishery and stuff, you know, you can't overfish these fisheries, but when... Uh, we went through the the uh, collapse and uh, rebuilding or, or restoration of that fishery. There was a lot of really neat information learned from that process. So, um, seeing um, how low. 
does collapse, and then uh, knowing where the kind of the optimal range is for spawner stock. Those are the kinds of things that you really don't have the opportunity to learn on a lot of other fisheries because they, they weren't pushed quite that hard. But uh, having that information has really let us dial in a little bit better on where we want to be with spawner stock, and that's what, what drives these regulation changes. So um, good to have that data. And uh, you started out, you know, years ago, I think, was it two fish at first? Yeah, we started pretty conservatively with a two-fish bag limit and a protected slot. Now, a protected slot means no harvest between a certain size range, and that was 17 to 26. And that was put in place to protect spawning stock because we knew we needed to rebuild that and we needed to maintain spawning stock to keep that population going. Um that was uh, it was a good regulation to rebuild spawning stock, but we found out that you know once we got there, we didn't need to be that restrictive. That's when we started to go to these one-over regulations to allow some harvest of of spawners, um, so that we don't get uh, really top-heavy with the population. And and that's that's really what you need is that that balance, so that um, you continue to recruit new fish to the fishery all the time. Uh, you can't be fishing on uh, a 10-year-old year class forever. you you got to keep new year classes coming. So um, really managing spawner stocks seems to be the way to do that, and, and harvesting fish when we have a surplus like we do now seems to help stimulate that recruitment. So that's really the, the process going into the spring. We, we know we'll be harvesting some adult mature females, but um, there's plenty of them in the system and plenty for reproduction, so uh, we can thin the, thin the crop a little bit. Okay. There's certainly a, a you know a, a lot of lakes, most of them that still have a, a, a six walleye limit with the, you know no consequences. Do you ever see a red getting back to a six walleye limit? Well, it's it's possible. When we were looking at ways to to increase harvest this year, we looked at both bag limits and this uh, the, the size limit adjustment. And since we were actually targeting wanting to target some bigger fish, this made more sense. Where if in the future if we have a a young year class coming up that we know is going to be super abundant, that may be the time to increase a bag limit. Um, so the, the type of regulation you use is, you know, based on what you're trying to achieve out there. So, yeah, it's possible that uh, sometime in the future when we see something like the uh, 09 or the 2011 year class coming that's extremely strong, you, you may want to see a bigger bag limit to, to harvest more smaller fish. I don't get the vibe, though, that uh, that people are demanding that. Uh, people I talk to seem to be pretty happy with everything that's going on on Red. Yeah, you know, the four fish has been a pretty popular place to be. That's, that's a kind of a nice nice limit for quality size fish. Um, uh, they really, it really does make a difference when you get less than four. When you go to three or two, um, that's when you start to see. Uh, uh, fishing pressure decline and they fi- find other places to go but when you're up around four that's 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 pretty popular and people are pretty uh, satisfied with that okay um of course we we got to address the you know 500 pound gorilla in the room we did find some zebra mussels on um red lake and i guess you know when you think about the lakes that have gotten it it's the the ones that a lot of boats go on so i guess it's not a, a real shock yeah, it's not a big surprise. Uh, you know, they're there. We, uh, we've just sampled some villagers here this last summer. We don't really have the population explosion that we've seen on some other lakes yet. So we're going to see how this one develops. And there's, there's always a lot of speculation about what's going to happen, you know, and 
we've seen what they've done on other lakes as far as water clarity and things but red lake's quite a bit different um you know being a bog stained lake um when zebra mussels uh, filter the water, they're filtering out the the algae and things like that, not so much the tannins that create the bog stain. Right. And and the lake is uh, is very shallow and windswept, so a lot of that uh, turbidity is actually suspended sediments as well, and that's another thing that the that zebes won't be filtering out. So it it may not react quite the same um, as it has on some other lakes. So we'll just see what happens. And again, the the zebes are are going to be part of the uh, the landscape up there so we'll we'll see what changes do occur but uh, not necessarily uh, anticipate that it'll be um, all the same as what's happened other places right i mean as as we talked earlier this year we certainly have seen on cast lake how that is becoming you know an even earlier morning or later night bite than it had been before but that yeah that probably or may not may well not happen on red yeah, that's that's possible. I mean, reds kind of have always been a daytime bite up there because very dark water with that uh, bog stain and uh, and the turbidity from the wind action. So a lot of times, even on red, it's uh, when the when the lake is really riled up and extremely dark, fishing can be kind of tough. So uh, maybe a little bit more clarity wouldn't even hurt there, but. Uh, Again, we'll we'll see how it affects the fishery. I, I think the fish population will be fine. Whether it uh, it changes the way people fish or the way when walleyes bite, uh, that's always a possibility too. Well, believe it or not, there are more than walleyes on Red Lake. We'll talk about a couple of other species next, and we try once again to stump the aquatic biologist, Dr. Andrew Hayes. If you're not listening to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country, we can talk about you and your poor decision-making skills. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Continuing our conversation with Gary Barnard. He's the Area Fisheries Manager out of the Bemidji office. We're talking about one of Paul Bunyan Country's Big Five, Red Lake, a famous, 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 famous walleye factory. But, Gary, Red Lake also noted uh, in the past for having big northerns, in fact, fairly recently for having big northerns. Is that the big northern population still in there? It is. It's it's not a high-density population, and, of course, that's what it takes, too, to make big fish. But, uh, you know, we still see pretty commonly um, um, northern pike being caught over 40 inches, which you don't see that on a lot of lakes, but uh, we do up there. We're, we're looking at a regulation change this year and actually a, kind of a rollback from where we were. We have a 26 to 44 inch protected slot on there right now and we're looking at um, maybe moving to a 30 to 40 instead. Um, that it's almost a catch and release fishery at uh, at uh, 26 to 44 and sure. um and it's kind of turned anglers off a little bit uh, there was some interest in actually being able to have a little more harvest opportunity but still protect some of those big fish so this reg will be similar to the lake of the woods reg and the uh actually the northeast zone regulation uh, at 30 to 40 might be a little simpler for people and uh and still protect a fair amount of those big fish that are out there okay but we'll uh, we'll have some public input on that we'll post the accesses and have a meeting on that next fall but uh that's what our proposal is at this point 
Well, of course, uh, one of the other things that happened uh, when the uh, when the walleye population was struggling on red was the maybe the greatest <laughs> crappie population in the history of the world. Um, is, is I, I'm assuming those are back to more normal levels now. Yep, and uh, when you say population, if you can call a year class a population, right, right, right. it was an, an exceptional year class that created that phenomenal fishing up there, and uh, that, that was really a, a benefit to, to the locals that were able to capitalize on that, uh, the businesses that kept some of them afloat during the walleye closure, which uh, was a good thing. But yeah, it's, uh, it's not something you could maintain with, uh, with the erratic reproduction of crappies on a lake that size, but uh, it was nice while it lasted. Um, crappies are still there. They still grow really well, and you can catch some nice-sized crappies, but it's, uh, it's not like the old days when you could just drop a line through the hole in the ice anywhere and catch them. But uh, a little harder to target now, but they're still present. Well, yeah, and that was the thing, Red, was always, you know, like you say, um, crappies were always there. They grew really well. But then when when there was nobody, nothing else in the lake for them to fight for food over, they just took over for, for a year or two. Yeah, that uh, that was a phenomenal thing. And it, it had to have been an exceptionally good um, spawning period there when uh, maybe the wind laid down for a couple of weeks, which it normally doesn't up there in Red Lake. But they got a... Got an excellent hatch off. It was almost exclusively one year class that rolled through there and, and uh, developed quite a fishery. And uh, it's it's legendary up there. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> well, and, and like I say, big wall or big big northerns and big crappies. Uh, not necessarily really really abundant, but uh, really fun when you do get into them now. Yep, there, there's some nice crappies in there. Also developing into a, a decent perch fishery again here. Oh. Um, you know, the perch grow really fast up there. The problem we've had for quite a few years, if you want to call it a problem, is there's so many walleyes that uh, they were eating most of the perch before they got to the catchable size. But um, the, even this last winter, we were seeing a lot more uh, perch again in the harvest. So that's that's kind of a good sign. And that's good for the walleye population to keep a decent perch population going as well. So we got zebra mussels that, that obviously we're watching, but uh, other than that, any concerns on red? Uh, no, that's probably our biggest concern. That's also another lake that has had just a little bit of that starry stonewort, but okay. most of that's occurred just in uh, protected harbors there. At, uh, it's it's not a, a plant species that's going to do well out in that windswept uh, uh, basin, so I don't see that as being a problem in the future, but we'll see what the Zebes do, and uh, again, I don't think it's anything to panic over, it's just, it's unfortunate, but we'll deal with it. Okay. Um, so, one more time for the new regulation, uh, people headed up to Red Lake, what do they get to do? Yeah, the new rig for walleyes is going to be a four-fish bag with one allowed over 20, so that means you can have four under 20, or you can have three under 20 and one over. And you get that uh, that little three inch uh, extra, uh, you know, from seventeen to well nineteen point nine that you're you know you're able to keep. And you're right, that makes a big difference. There's a lot of fish that uh, are between those two that people were catching that they had to put back before. Yeah, there, there was a lot of people talking about that this winter that they'd been able to harvest a lot more fish if they could have kept something more over seventeen. So there's a bunch of fish in that size range right now, and. 
and that's why we're doing it because there's a bunch of them there and they actually need some thinning to get some young fish coming again so it's a it's a good thing for for both the angler and for the walleye population so it sounds like we can give red lake another uh, another grade of an a Oh, I'd say so. Yep, it's it's going to be a, a fun time up there this spring. All right. Gary Barnard is the Area Fisheries Manager out of the Bemidji Area Office. Gary, as always, thanks for your time today. Okay, thanks a lot, Kevin. If you catch a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Teach a man to fish, and you're never going to see him again. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Ask the aquatic bar. Time once again to ask the aquatic biologist, Dr. Andrew Hafes, another tough poser. Uh, Andy, you know, we live in Minnesota. We have icy roads in the winter. I mean, I like having the salt on the roads. It makes me drive a little more confidently. It does cause my car to rust out a little bit, too. <laughs> yeah, me, too. Uh, so if it's, uh, if it's uh, affecting my car that way, uh, what does it do for water and fisheries, particularly roads, obviously, that are close to lakes and rivers? So I have no doubt in my mind that the salt that is put on the roads is influencing our aquatic ecosystems, right? Okay. The, one of the key physiological functions of an organism, I guess, is osmoregulation. They have to maintain their salt-water balance, right? Okay. So we all do this. All of our cells do in our bodies. Fish are no different. They... So they have to devote some of the energy that they get from eating prey to maintaining a particular amount of salts within them. And if you change the amount of salt that is in the ecosystem, that influences their ability to do that. Uh, The other reason I have no doubt that it's influencing these things is that I've seen research and I've actually documented this myself where if you measure the salt concentrations below a bridge and above a bridge during those winter months, there is a change. Right. I can remember as an undergrad for our water chemistry class, they took us out during the winter and we measured conductivity above the bridge, which is just a measure of how fast electricity moves through the water. When there's salt present, it moves faster. Okay. Right. Uh, so we measured that conductivity above this bridge and below it, and it was orders of magnitude higher below. And he asked us, why do you think that? Right. I can remember the professor asking that question. And it was that they had salted that bridge regularly throughout the winter. Now, uh, it's, there's some past research that also suggests that over 50% of our bridges and, or our waterways that have bridges going over them within regions of the country that have salt administered are influenced. Like there's measurable effects at at least 50% of our water, waterways. So what are those effects? So they also, in that same research, put out fathead minnows in bioassays. And they were able to determine that at least a portion of those that had elevated salt concentrations, they were at concentrations that were lethal to the fathead minnows. Okay. Right. So you're just you're messing with the ability of these fish to osmoregulate, to maintain their salt water balance. When we change the salt concentrations, Lake Bemidji has very little salt in it per unit of volume of water. Right. Yeah. Um, so if we elevate that and make it look more like something like seawater. Organisms are not compared or prepared to deal with that. Now, this is a tricky situation, right? We need salt right now. Yes. Because, like you said, 
I, my truck's two-wheel drive. Uh, you see me driving around town in this old rust bucket, but if I didn't have salt on the roads and I was on top of that ice, uh, it's a danger to human life. So the Department of Transportation, whoever is in charge of this, is a, it's a very difficult situation. And uh, I think they're doing a great job at trying to limit the amount that they're putting out uh, to just intersections and bridges and things. But ultimately, in the future, we're going to have to do better. Somebody's going to come up with a solution to this, whether it's solar panels and heat, heating coils on our bridges and intersections so they don't have to do that, or, or something else. Uh, we need to find a solution. This is just a temporary fix. Right? Have there been... Um specific examples where it really went awry in a, cer- in a certain body of water due to that? Not that I'm aware of yet. Okay. I'm sure there has been. I just haven't investigated that thoroughly. Um, again, but, it's just I don't think that these catastrophic event, events are that you mentioned. Is there a catastrophic event somewhere? That's not a good way to be thinking about these things. Right. Right. There are we're altering that ecosystem in a negative way. There's no doubt, right? And therefore, we should try to find answers to try to fix that. That's the way to think about it. Yeah. Well, and, and I remember a point you have made numerous times in the past when we talked about AIS. In the short term, yeah, the water's a little clearer, populations are fine, but we have no idea what 50 years from now it's right. going to mean. Same thing here. Right. I can remember when I was in West Virginia... There was a river there that had a complete summer kill. Every fish in the river died. And we went back and tracked the source of that, and it was conductivity. It was 30,000 in comparison to 300 like it's supposed to be. And we tracked this back to a, a fracking pond where they were holding the water. And above that pond, the conductivity was 300, and below it, it was 30,000. And every fish died below that. From that section down and above that point, we could see fish swimming. And then I remember sitting in a meeting where they were talking about why it happened, and they had these peaks in conductivity tracked through time in that river that were 3,000, 6,000, 10,000, 12,000. They had that data, and eventually it reached that tipping point where it wiped out the entire system, right? Wow. And that's what we can't allow happen. We know there are issues, right? Let's find these solutions to these extremely complex problems as fast as we can, because we know eventually there's going to be that tipping point, but we don't want to see that, right? Right. No, we, we certainly do not. Right. Uh, are you aware of any anybody, anything practical out there that's making progress in that front? No. You don't? I'm, I'm sure there not. are. I'm sure they're investigating this very closely. Right. There's a, a lot of money invested in this, and human life is invested in this, and these aquatic ecosystems are extremely valuable, but I'd have to do a lot of reading on It's outside my area of expertise. Right. I know, Andy, every time I talk with you every year, I am always completely flummoxed and, <laughs> and fascinated by the, the chain of events and how complex and interconnected everything really is. Right. And I think one of the major goals I have through the show is just to hopefully get people to think about things just a little bit different, right? Yeah. And like that key point I just made, that we can't wait for these tipping points. Probably a lot of people haven't thought about that before, that we need to address these problems now, not wait for these events that occur that are catastrophic. Unfortunately, that's usually what we wait for, right? Yeah. Something like that happens, and then we have to 
make changes as associated to it, but that's not the way we should be managing our resources. All right. Another fascinating topic from with uh, Dr. Andrew Hafes, our resident aquatic biologist. Actually, we just borrow him from Bemidji State. <laughs> Andy, thanks again for stopping by. We appreciate it. Thank you. Call it Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait. What rewards? A Dew Operator Skin. Man, I love Operator Skins. Dual double XP, and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. Call of Duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and free 20 and 23.